Heavenly Father, there is a psalm that says, I do not concern myself with matters too lofty for me. And pray that as we approach this incredible passage that we will understand the, uh, the ability and the limits of our ability to interpret your word, but we will also be fed by you, and that we'll grow in you, and that we'll understand who we are and who you are more. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Do you have a seat? And um, this is the stuff of nightmares, isn't it? I mean, extreme nightmares. If you uh, found yourself on a psychiatrist's coach and, um, and started relating these visions that you had, you could imagine that uh, institutions and you might be uh, meeting each other in short uh, occurrence. It's no wonder that at the end of this extraordinary chapter, Daniel is deeply troubled by his thoughts. His face turns pale and he keeps the matter to himself. He's obviously worked out the risk of incarceration <laughs> if he recites his, his visions and dreams. But it's not quite as difficult as it seems to us at first glance. And has anyone ever been to the British Museum? Anyone had a little tour around there and seen the Babylonian exhibition there? As you'll see almost straight away that the clues to this are, are fairly apparent. Um, and let me give you a, a parallel. Uh, imagine this story, and this, is, uh, this hasn't been edited for political bias, but uh, imagine uh, you have a vision and a dream one night, and a bulldog appears in your dream, and he's got a red coat on him, and he stretches across the known world, and he, uh, and he invades a fifth of it, leaving red paint everywhere across the known world. And he devours some of the resources of the known world and brings them back to his base. And he fights against all comers, including those who drop mighty bombs upon his base. And with the help of an eagle who rises up from the west, he defeats the bombers. But meanwhile, in the east, a bear is rising. And the bear devours all the known world, spreading in above the bomber's place and comes into power and resilience is seen. Is it didn't take a great deal of history to work out the British Empire, uh, the United States, and USSR uh, rising up. And these images that come here, certainly the first one, would have been very, very obvious to Daniel. Uh, did, you, did you catch it? In, in his dream, he sees a lion, has the wings of an eagle. That is Nebuchadnezzar's own self-identified image of himself, a great lion with wings on his back so he can stretch over the whole known world. Mighty Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember the one who puts a statue to himself and makes everyone bow down before his statue, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who don't, who don't bow down? The one who considers himself the lord of everything, the, the maker of one of the wonders of the world, who then gets humbled by God and is made to eat grass for seven years and becomes humanified, even as he becomes cowified. <laughs> That's a new word for you, cowified. He becomes cowified, he has to eat grass for seven years, but actually in that humbling of him, he finds his true humanity. And the end of his reign, he gives uh, glory to the Lord of heaven and earth, and it's only then his successors who see the demise of Babylon, and they get devoured by a bear, which is the story we were looking at last week. And probably the, the bear represents the whole of the Medo-Persian Empire. Some say it's just the Medes, uh, but let's, let's go with the whole of the Medo-Persian Empire. And they, they break in and they have uh, three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, um, which is almost unintelligible. I don't think anyone really knows what that means. Um, and the commentators are generally honest on that. And then after that, there's, there's another beast that comes out like a leopard, uh, the fastest of the cats. Um, in, in that context, we're fast, devouring, 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 devouring. 
And this one goes in four directions. It has four wings like those of a bird. And this seems to relate very well to Alexander the Great and his four successors, who then spread out in different directions. And quickly, uh, that one takes over, again, uh, as much of the known world as possible going down into India. Uh, and then, finally, uh, a vision of a fourth beast, which is what Daniel particularly wants to know about. He seems to be fairly uh, happy with the first three of them, but the, the fourth one he wants to know about, and it's characterized by iron and devouring. And imagine you're sitting in um, Jerusalem, say, in the year A.D. 25, 26, 27, before Jesus' ministry is kicked off, and you're surrounded by the great iron army of Rome, which has taken over the known world, and you hear the stamp, stamp, stamp of their feet and the clogging of their horses and the spears clanging on the grounds, and you've seen what happens when they put their shields together and they rush into a crowd and they can annihilate you, even though they're smaller than you, they're so well-trained and so well-equipped, you haven't got a chance against them, and you know that the Pax Romana, which brings peace to a small percentage and has brought oppression to you and many in your country, He's very much like this beast. And you might be thinking there in year 25, 26, 27 AD, what is this about and what's going to happen? And you read that there is above all of these four kingdoms, Babylonian, Medes, Persians, Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire, say, one who sets their thrones in place. And an ancient of days with clothing as white as snow and hair on the head white like wool and a throne flaming with fire and wheels all ablaze and a river of fire flowing coming out from before him. And you read about this other extraordinary character which supersedes these incredible kingdoms, these superpowers. And this power which is somehow in charge of everything and look, tens of thousands upon tens of thousands attend him and stand before him and there's a court seated and books open. And you hear that among the horns of this iron monster beast comes one more boastful than others uh, that, it, that it carries on. And, and then you find out that the beast gets slain, its body destroyed and thrown into blazing fire. And the other beasts have been given a chance to survive on past their sell-by date, but this one will be finally finished in one big go. I mean, it's stuff of revolution, isn't it? If you were Pontius Pilate trying to govern Judea and people started reciting this near you, you'd probably get the idea that this ancient prophecy was aimed towards you. You'd probably hear them talk about the ancient of days all the time and expect a time where the slanderers, the blasphemers, these haters would be overthrown. And you can imagine the young Paul um, sort of imbibing this and thinking we're going to overthrow these Romans one day. And Daniel pauses and he prays and he says what's going on? He's troubled in his spirit and the revelation comes to him that these are the four great kingdoms but verse 18 the saints of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever yes forever and ever. And this is what I wanted to really take us close attention into today. Because it says that there's this superpower above all powers, the Ancient of Days, who holds court and decides the length of time that all of these people can have on earth as powers. 
who allows Alexander the Great to rise up. And if you've read his history, it is an extraordinary, almost mysterious history, the way that he rises up. He's considered by many to be a son of the gods. It's a bizarre story how powerful he becomes so quickly. And Nebuchadnezzar, similarly, it's bizarre how powerful some of these people get. It's bizarre some of the people who've got power in our world today, isn't it? It's bizarre. And you think, who's in charge of these bizarre happenings? Is it what God wants, that these weird people are in power and they're putting even weirder people in power around them in their courts and other things? And the message comes back from Daniel, actually God is in charge, but he's allowing different humans to rule the world. But when it gets to enough is enough, he steps in and changes it. And you think, why is he allowing these different humans to rule the world? And why do these humans look so unhuman-like? Why do they end up looking like lions and bears and leopards and indescribable iron monsters? And that, I think, is the key to this entire passage. Because if you look in at verse 13, he says, I looked and I saw before me was one like a son of man coming from the clouds of heaven. And if you know your New Testament, you'll know that Jesus again and again describes himself as the Son of Man. What does the Son of Man look like? It looks like a man. (laughs) Just normal. Not dressed as a lion, not dressed as a bear, not dressed as a leopard, not dressed as an iron monster. Just a normal man. See, part of the revelation of Scripture is that God has ordained this planet to be ruled by humanity. Do you remember what he does at the beginning in the garden? He sets humans in the garden. He says, have dominion over this planet. Rule over this planet. Go forth and multiply. As we said in the series on sex, the first commandment is go and have sex and make lots of kids. (laughs) Fill the place up. Rule this planet, humans. You are supposed to be in charge as humans. But if you know the story of the Bible at all, you'll know that humanity was quickly perverted and distorted to become less than it should be. And the less sometimes looked like more. As you grab things around you, as you say, as as Cain says, I want able stuff. He thinks he's getting himself bigger and stronger and better, but he's actually becoming a parody of who he could be in the weakness of being a human. We were designed as a naked ape to rule the world. To have dominion over the world. To look after the world. We weren't given great claws or huge teeth to distort and pervert it and make it our own. We were given great capacity intellectually, emotionally, lovingly. But we lost so much of it that when given power... It tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And kingdom after kingdom has people with extreme power but corrupted by the power. Whatever their incredible origins may have been, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, they're corrupted by it. Humanity is supposed to be ruling the world, but a few people in humanity grab the power to themselves, dominate people around them whether they're a bulldog, an eagle, a bear, or a lion. But one 
comes into the world as a son of man. Didn't have anything in his appearance that would attract you to him. There was nothing about him that was remarkable. There was no army. There was no great work of literature. He knew what it was to cry over a friend's death. He knew what it was to be hungry. He was tempted in every way. And that, son of man, is the one who gets chosen to come back with the clouds of heaven. He approaches the Ancient of Days, is led into his presence, and as Philippians 2 alludes to, is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And every nation will bow before Jesus. And every knee will bow before him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The one who was fully human becomes the one who's most exalted. Do you see how glorious it is? This world's been set up for humans to govern. And only a human could ultimately govern and set it right. But he's not there to govern on his own if you look into the passage. It's the saints of God who will rule with him forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. So there's a role in this for you as well, the saints of the Most High God, who have been saved by him. You too will rule on this planet, new heaven and new earth, with that one like a son of man, the Ancient of Days, when he comes again. The purposes of history are going to be such that we rule with Jesus forever. Is that not extraordinary? And what do we need to be rulers in the kingdom of God? What do we need to live out the kingdom of God now? Do we need to be those who gather power around us like the lion or the bear or the leopard? Do we need to conquer people? Do we need to dominate in our workplace, dominate in our families? Do we need to make sure that our way or the highway? Do we need to get the most fantastic grades we can or salary we can or the biggest things we can? Do we need to build our own palaces? Or do we need to be one who didn't have anywhere to lay his head, who humbled himself, even though everything was his to have? And so he is exalted on high because he didn't cling to everything he could have had. And that's the real challenge for the church. That in a world that looks like it's going crazy and scarily wrong again and again, to remember that whatever you can see out there isn't the end of the story. It's not even the big story. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Some go quickly because they have wonderful electoral systems, which mean they can't last more than eight years or so. Others hang on. For a century or so. But eventually they pass. The kingdom of God keeps growing. No matter what time we live in, no matter what's going on, God's people know that his purposes are being worked out year after year. They know that whoever seems to be in charge politically, they're being allowed to be in charge but they will be judged for how they act. And there'll be a day of reckoning. They know that whatever corporations are governing 
huge swathes of the world, there'll be a day of reckoning for them as well, as the eagle scratches its talon on every country in the world. There'll be reckoning for that one day. But God's people will rule forever. And what you need, you need to be fully human. So often, we feel that the need and the way to survive in this world is to clothe ourselves in one of these mighty things. We come close to a superpower. Say, look after us, protect us. We get into bed with a huge corporation. Say, look after us, protect us. And Jesus simply says, look, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who look naked now, blessed are those who've got nowhere to lay their heads, blessed are those who are man-like, woman-like, human-like, because it's in your humanity that you are ruling as you should do. I just wanted to um, tell you one encouraging little story and then uh, one little thing to finish. The, the encouraging story was just of a, someone from, from our church who has moved away to Winchester. And she came on our, our Alpha course, having told us that she'd never come on it. She was asked five times by Nicola to come. Eventually she came. And uh, she ended up having kids at the same nursery as us. It was all sort of a, an accidental collusion of God. She came on Alpha saying, I'm going to be a real pain on the Alpha course. I'm going to ask all the questions that uh, you don't want asked, and I'll be uh, sort of intellectual sparring. And anyway, after about four or five weeks, she was basically converted. And uh, she went and worked in the meeting place. And, uh, and in the meeting place cafe over at, at Turnham Green, she was sort of discipled just by conversation with Swapner and Jenny and others in the kitchen, just learning more about Jesus. And she moved away and she, she sent us a, a text this week saying, I wish I could have video recorded this conversation for you. So I went to yet another huge house where, where I'm living, friends who've got everything. And this person was an atheist and her friend was over as well. And, and we were talking and I was talking about St. Albans Church and how it's come back to life and what God's been doing in Chiswick. And I said, at the end of the conversation, the atheists were saying, well, if God can do that, then maybe... Um, I should give up on this atheism thing and, uh, and rethink it. And how do I start to rethink that? It's really interesting, isn't it? Um, that having sort of invested everything in one of the gods of this age, of mammon, of having everything, when she gets a glimpse of the Ancient of Days, she's like, oh, I want to rethink it. And wherever you go this week, you're carrying with you a glimpse of the Ancient of Days. You hear a people who've had a glimpse that there is a God in heaven and a knowledge that a very weak human being in Palestine who was hung naked on a cross changed the whole history. You've had this glimpse, you know this story and it unsettles and changes people when you tell it. But it's a world that needs help, isn't it? And the thing that really struck me was also a survey that was done of, of women um, asking if there were no men, what would you do? I don't know if you saw this survey. If there were no men. Um, and the most common answer was I'd go for a walk in the evening on my own and feel safe. 
I don't know if that resonates with some of you, but it just felt like, what a sad indictment on half of the human race that is. That we live under this power where half of the population would feel safe to walk around on their own if there were no men. It's tragic, isn't it? We live under all sorts of powers and we're not often aware of them. We're not often aware of them. But there is a man. He didn't dress up as a lion or a bear or a leopard. He was utterly humble. The women who had been deeply abused felt very comfortable with telling their life stories to. The children would go and sit on his lap. The people who had been hurt and broken would turn to him. That the man being hung on a cross would look at him and say, you're innocent. If only I had what you had. And one day that man is coming back to bring his rule and his reign. And when he brings his rule and his reign, the male portion of humanity will be redeemed as well. And we will all feel safe walking around at night. Because he's gentle and humble of heart. And when the gentle and humble of heart one is in charge, everything's going to be different. And that's the kingdom we're holding out for. That's the rule and reign we're looking out for. For now, we tell our stories. We tell people we've had a glimpse of the kingdom, as Emma did in Winchester. And we say, look what he can do. But we long as well for the day when humanity can be fully known and fully know, where we can be, as it were, emotionally naked together, not hiding, not scared, not fearful, but free. And that's the kingdom that's coming. That's the rule that's coming. So however you feel in the power that we live in now, the last years of the bulldog, the rise of the eagle, the last years of the bear, However you feel in these ears, there's a kingdom coming, and it's glorious, and it's not far away, and it is certain that it's going to come about, and it will last forever.